Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. This episode is sponsored by my 12-week gut hormone solution, an online program for women who want to heal their gut and hormone health without the overwhelm. If this sounds like you and you want to know more, jump to the show notes, have a read, register your interest for the 2021 intake. There are limited spots, so don't leave it too long, ladies. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Dr. Joanna, I'm going to say your surname wrong, I'm sure, Mackinan. Mackinan. It's McMeekin, you were pretty close. Okay. <laughs> a registered Chinese medicine practitioner. And today we're focusing in on overcoming painful periods. So Joanna is passionate about helping women live life with less pain and more joy. So not only a practitioner, she also prides herself on being a mother, a bookstore lover, hula hooper and down-to-earth human. Joanna uses a combination of herbal medicine and acupuncture to go beyond conventional medicine and address the root cause of imbalances within the body. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your holiday to have a chat with me, Joanna. That's all right. I'll chat about periods, hormones and Chinese medicine anytime. (laughs) Awesome. So tell me, you know, tell us and listeners a little bit about you and about your business and what exactly you do. So I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner here in, in Melbourne and I am an acupuncturist and a herbalist, which means I use acupuncture and traditional Chinese herbs in um, working with the patients that I see. And uh, I've been I've paused to think about a little bit more about me. <laughs> you were going to ask me about been doing how long you've been a Chinese medicine practitioner. That's actually what stumped me because I was like, "Oh, what year is it?" And I'm going to have to do maths on the fly. But <laughs> I've been <laughs> I've been working in the area for I think it's around eight years now. So wow, oh, wow. yeah. So it's very it's something that um something that I I really love and I'm really grateful to be able to do the work that I do. And do they go hand in hand, Chinese medicine and acupuncture, or did you do one and then did the other after? That's a really interesting question, actually. So they they actually come from um, different paradigms, different backgrounds. So historically, acupuncture and herbalism were sort of two different schools, and then they brought them together. Um, and so <laughs> you you do tend to find within Chinese medicine, some people are acupuncturists and some people are herbalists because the way that we understand the body, whether you're using the meridian network or whether you're using um you know, the, the organ systems, it can be different, but they've tried to like smush them together. And I think it's, I think there's definite value in both, uh, but they do actually have a history of coming from, from different paradigms. So do you think one would be effective without the other or? Yes. yes. Yeah. I think they're an amazing one-two punch, but certainly you can treat conditions herbally. Um, 
solely herbally and others can be done solely with acupuncture. So I studied um, the both both uh, branches, but you can just do study Chinese medicine and do acupuncture Um, and then those people can go on to do like a master of herbalism but yeah I would say even in some cases you know in chronic conditions um, there's that car in the background that I warned you we might have (laughs) Um, in uh, in chronic conditions then you might even be better applying herbs over the really long term you know someone might be taking herbs for up to a year or so and uh, then if you're looking at other conditions musculoskeletal conditions for example then acupuncture might actually be more appropriate than herbs so you don't always use them together but certainly in women's health I use them together a lot yeah yeah so something like acupuncture as opposed to herbs the time frame of that because I know like I work with uh, herbal formulas with women and you know I always say give it a minimum of 12 weeks right like your cycles and your gut microbiome like I want to be seeing you for 12 weeks because then we can actually sort of see the changes um, and you said you know your herbal stuff you can do long term as well with acupuncture is that something you would recommend weekly or is it less than that or is it more than that what do you typically sort of see or does it vary between conditions yeah, it varies a lot. So it varies between conditions, varies between people. Uh, there's a general rule, which is if something is an acute condition, then you can usually get away with around six treatments before you oh, can wow. get resolution. Yeah. If something's chronic, you, you're looking at 10 or more. And the or more really depends on how long has the problem been? Is it a degenerative problem? Are you dealing with a young person or an older person? You know, what's their, their body's healing capabilities like? Um, but you know, acupuncture can work in one treatment. I've seen it work in one treatment. So it, yeah, it's really, really variable. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it just depends on the circumstances. And then with the herbal formulas you use, do you use liquid herbs or do you, um, get like the tablets? So the traditional way is getting all the sort of raw herbs, so like dried herbs that you put in a pot and you cover them with water and you boil them and you reduce it down by half and then you put more water. And it's, um, it's a really beautiful way of preparing the herbs, but it's not uh, super duper practical these days. So we try, um, there are a lot of Uh, practitioners who still use raw herbs and I would even argue there have been cases where I've had to reach out to someone who does dispense raw because I've got a patient and I really want to move their condition very quickly and the raw herbs are just the most potent but my dispensary is a granule dispensary so it's where they take those raw herbs and they process them in a factory and they um, take them through a, a a manufacturing process and at the end you get these granules which is sort of like instant coffee so you measure them out into a cup you add hot water you mix them up they taste revolting usually. Um, yeah, they usually taste like shit, but um, they're very, very good for you. So it's <laughs> like you tell your children, you have to eat vegetables. They're good for you. Don't care if you don't like the taste. It's sort of what I say to my patients as well. It's just hold your nose and get them in because they're good for you. Um, but then they, the, you can also take that powder and put it into a capsule. So there are a number of patent formulas out there that are in little tiny little pills or in capsules but the drawback with those is um you can't customize them for the individual and so so much of what makes chinese medicine really really powerful is that you don't give everyone the same treatment you go we've got period pain you take this pill no you sit down you go okay why do you have period pain let's look at what's going on for you and then i will craft a 
formula, a herbal preparation yes. for you, um, which you lose that ability when you're dealing in patents a little bit. So that's why I run the granules. Yeah, wow, that's super interesting because as uh, like a fellow practitioner but in a different area, I do have access to Chinese medicine herbs but I wouldn't use them because I'm not trained in them as such. But I do see you can buy them in capsules and then they're just like this blend of all these different herbs. And I'm thinking, wow, like I would have obviously no idea where to start but then I was thinking, oh, I wonder wonder if that's how Chinese medicine herbal sort of formulas work, whether you do pick them or whether it's like I know there's natural Pass who do make up their own blends of liquid herbs as well but that's really fascinating it's almost like uh like a compounding pharmacist like you're picking your herbs and you're doing it yep yep yeah, so, so you've got when you've got someone in front of you you're looking at okay what's going on in this person and you come to your diagnosis and then when you craft a formula you don't just give them one herb to deal with that you give them a selection of herbs that as well as dealing with the problem, they need to, the herbs need to balance each other because we're always dealing in, you know, the balance of yin and yang in the body. If you've got someone who has a hot condition, for example, you want to make sure that you're cooling them down, but you don't want it to be too cold if they have a weak digestion because the digestive system doesn't like cold medicinals. So you're kind of making sure that it's it's a cooling formula with some herbs that will support the digestion at the same time and you want it to be balanced. So, yeah, there is it, it is real alchemy, actually, now that I come to think of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then in line with that, then do you also give any nutritional advice or anything along those lines as well or purely just herbs? Because I'm just thinking as you're saying that, I'm thinking, wow, well, that totally ties in with, you know, the even um, what they called your different uh, like Vata and Pitta and um, your Ayurvedic type medicine stuff because that deals with the heat sort of in your body and how you react. And then I think of someone with a poor or slow digestion and what I'm going to tell them to eat is very different from someone, you know, who's overactive or those kinds of things. Yeah. So my background, actually, when I um, left the corporate world to go back to study, I started studying to become a naturopath. So I work a little bit differently than other Chinese medicine practitioners because I kind of, I did three years of naturopathy before I transferred over. So I will always combine the two. Um, And I'll look at things from a a nutritional profile perspective and see whether we need to include any supplementation. Um, But I always try and, and I'm sure uh, I can see in your eyes already that (laughs) you do the same is I always try and start with the diet. You know, you only supplement if there's something lacking in the diet, you always want to create food is our first form of medicine. So, and Chinese medicine dietary therapy is actually really quite different from in, in a couple of areas from Western. Um, so it's interesting what you say about the Ayurveda. I was on um, a podcast the other day chatting with a, an Ayurvedic practitioner oh, amazing. and we almost forgot that we were talking on a podcast because we were just <laughs> <laughs> having so much fun um, looking for the, because Ayurvedic medicine is probably um, the history of Chinese medicine. If you trace it back, they would have uh, got a lot of their information from the Ayurvedic practices. So there's a lot of crossover. And, yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about that you do in your clinic is if someone takes salad, for example, it's a really, really good example, that salad is healthy, right? Well, it is if you have a strong enough digestion to be able to break down raw plant food. So if you think of your, um, I have a blog post about this on my on my website because oh, awesome. I'm always banging oh. on about it. Yes. If you think yeah. of your digestion like a saucepan simmering over a flame, 
um, that that flame is your body's constitutional energy, right? And if you're cooking a soup on the stove and you've got it simmering away nicely and you dump in a whole lot of cold stock or you put in raw vegetables, what happens to the simmer? It just stops dead, right? And either you have to wait a really long time before that simmer comes back or you have to crank up the flame. Now, cranking up the flame is fine if your body has enough energy to do that. But if you have a weak digestion or a weak constitution for whatever reason, you can't crank that flame up. So your digestion just turns into this big pot of soup that's not simmering away, like it's not digesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we do have a lot, in answer to your question, <laughs> we do have a lot of nutritional and, and dietary advice that we give. And, you know, eating, um, sort of pulling it back to today's topic, uh, not eating cold and raw food is one thing that we will recommend often for women who are struggling with period pain if that period pain is coming from a deficiency of yeah, digestive energy. That's so, yeah, that's so interesting because often that's one of the first things I'll tell someone, even even in an initial consult without knowing everything about them straight up. But often if it's the digestion stuff, like if it's bloating or poor digestion or those kinds of things, I'm like, girl you've got to stop some of that raw food because they're going I'm eating so healthy I'm eating all this salad and I'm like no your body's just it's struggling like it is you're right even with hormonal stuff but yeah with gut things as well it's it's really hard to digest and I think we do forget that because we also there's been that whole push of the the raw food type things as well when that sort of stuff we don't actually realize how how much work that is for our body so yeah I'd, I'd totally resonate with what you're saying there um so a bit about period pain so this is something that I don't know if specialize is the right word but it is something that you work with a lot in clinic is that correct yeah it, it has become women's health across the lifespan has become my clinical focus um yeah, yeah so and that's it's really, really funny because if you'd asked me in university what I would wind up focusing on in clinic, it probably would have been one of the last things you're laughing at yep. me. <laughs> it probably would have been one of yep. one of the last things that I would have said. But in um, over the last eight years, I've sort of come to realize that from because women are so beautifully complex and cyclical in terms of their hormonal profile and how important our hormones are to the healthy functioning of our body and the fact that it changes over the course of the life, the lifespan, um, you know, I joke a lot of the time that men are just so simple because their penis doesn't work and yep. then their penis does work yep. <laughs> and, that's, yep. uh-huh. and then it works, but yeah. maybe not quite as well as it used to, but yep. still pretty good, you know, yep. So, yep. Oh, yep. and that's, that's men, Lord love yeah. them. But yeah. women, you know, you're kind of prepubescent and then you go through puberty and then you, um, have that that time span before you become a mother, if that's something that happens for, for you. And then you have, pre-pregnancy, fertility, if there are any issues, then you've got pregnancy, then you've got the postpartum period, then you've got like perimenopause and then menopause yeah. and then postmenopause. And every single time we're dealing with a different hormonal profile. And unfortunately, um, in the mainstream, what we have to offer women who are going through these transitions is really sadly lacking. And in fact, um, where I'm really passionate is young girls who, as their body is trying to figure out, again, you're nodding, (laughs) as their body is trying to figure out how much of which hormone do I need to secrete in what quantities, you know, at what times, they can have some problems. They can have painful periods, heavy periods, irregular periods, and they go to the doctor and the doctor, very well-meaning, says, well, we'll just pop you on the pill and that'll, air quotes, regulate everything. But what it's actually doing in truth 
is shutting everything down. So before this communication, this very sophisticated communication system is even hooked up, we shut it down and we shut it down for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And after 60 years of prescribing the pill, we're only just starting to really study its effects on the brain and the body. And we're finding out that it, um, it comes with a price, you know, shutting down your hormonal system. So I'm really passionate about getting the education out to young girls, but also their mothers, because often their mums are the ones taking them to the doctor, right? And making sure that, that we have a better understanding of how to help smooth these transitions and smooth the symptoms that come with these transitions so that we're not relying on uh, fake hormones to make yeah. problems go away. Yeah. And also like people like you, and I guess I do it in some sense as well, is making making it less of a taboo subject. Like, hey, you've got period pain. Let's actually talk about it because like you said, that there's a cause for it. And the pill is such a band-aid effect for these kinds of things that it's like, well, why, why do we have that pain in the first place? Where is it coming from? And yeah, how can we balance those things out, especially at a young age? Because yeah, I'm seeing women like later in life who have been on the pill for 10, 15, 20 years, which is such a long time to not be ovulating for. It's it's crazy. But Well, we're also finding out now that um, it's healthy and regular ovulation actually preps the body for a smoother transition to menopause. There you go. I didn't know that, but that Yeah, made- because of that exposure to progesterone. So if you're not ovulating, you're not making progesterone. And progesterone is a really, really important hormone for women's health both now and kind of setting them up into the future. So yeah, it's the the effects of it are quite far reaching. And, you know, I, and I, like you said, I, I'm really into normalizing the conversation about women's physiology. I've got two little girls. I've got a five and an eight year old. They can tell you exactly what a period is. They're not freaked out by it. They're not grossed out by it because I haven't been secret about it. I haven't, you know, hushed it up. Cause at the end of the day, they're going to get their period. And, you know, I I have friends, I don't know about you, but I have friends who thought they were dying when they first got their period because no one had talked to them about it. And I just find that extraordinary. So I'm really, really about opening up the conversation um, just so that, you know, it's like, oh, are you okay? What's up? Oh, I've got a bit of a headache today. You know, you would say that to someone. So, oh, are you okay? What's up? Uh, just a little bit of period pain. Oh, do you want to go for a lie down? You know, like, wouldn't that be nice that that's just a normal conversation? Exactly. And that we feel okay to say that. Oh, totally. So if a woman, woman, a female came to you and was experiencing period pain, what sort of things do you do? or What sort of things would you recommend for someone? Yeah. So I I would like to say that um, I'm trying to be aware of being more inclusive in my speech, so um, I'm not sure what the what what we have to say these days for people who menstruate. I think that's it. So, um, uh, just anybody listening, I'm making an effort to kind of acknowledge that. So, people who menstruate who are experiencing period pain, uh, it really depends on what's causing that. Um, yeah, I know that's kind of a gimme answer, isn't it? Well, what? <laughs> how long's a piece of string? But yeah. we would. Uh, First, the first thing you would want to do if someone's experiencing period pain is to rule out any underlying disease um, or serious condition, right? So you want to make sure endometriosis is one that really springs to mind because at the moment, endometriosis is only diagnosable on laparoscopy, which means they have to go in and surgically uh, look and check and see if they can detect endometriosis. They're working on a salivary test, which I really, really hope they can get as soon that would as be possible. Amazing. Yeah, it really would. 
surgery's got quite a long wait time. I've got women who are waiting to get in just to see, like, because, you know, once you sort of do that groundwork and you're still coming up with symptoms and whatnot, you're going, oh, wow, is it actually endo? And how long do I need to wait till I see if I've got it? And then what once I've got it, you know, like those sides of things? I think the standard time for diagnosis for endo is 10 to 12 years. Yeah, which is wow. extraordinary, you know, yeah. like it's a really, really long time. So you're wanting to make sure you, that you're ruling out, is it period pain or is it something worse? Because endometriosis is way more than just period pain. Yeah. Uh, so endo or adenomyosis and then, you know, fibroids, obviously you want to rule out anything more sinister like a neoplasm, like a cancer, yeah. pelvic inflammatory disease. So you're going through and just making, kind of doing your checks and balances to make sure that we're dealing with sort of run-of-the-mill period pain. Yeah. And then at that point, um, we need to assess what's going on in the person's life that's driving that's driving this this condition for them yeah. and in a, from a chinese medicine point of view we look at either there's too much of something going on so we say you have um, an excess and a stagnation yeah. Yeah. Or there's not enough of something you you have a deficiency going yeah. on so what's lacking for you yeah and um stagnation is often at the heart of it so we'll talk about the nature of the pain you know is the pain vague or is it stabbing if it's kind of like a vague ache then we're looking at what we call chi stagnation so the energy is stagnant if it's more of a stabbing pain then that's what we say okay the the energy is stagnated so much that it's no longer leading the blood around and the blood has started to stagnate as well so then based on that kind of a diagnosis that's when you're going to go in with different herbs different acupuncture um acupuncture treatment methods and so forth uh, so it really does depend. Some women get back, you know, lower back pain. Some people get pain mm. in the abdomen. Some people's yeah. abdominal pain travels down the front of their legs. Each of these are different diagnostically in Chinese medicine. And then we will look at the tongue of the person and feel their pulse as well yeah. for more information. Yeah. yeah, we talk a lot about digestion, talk a lot about poo in Chinese medicine. <laughs> hey, that's my I'm sure fact. you're no stranger to the poo conversation either. <laughs> No, no, not at all. So I know you've got um, that handout that women can jump in and download and have a read about, is it 21 ways to help with period pain? So pick out. 21 steps to pain-free periods. That's the name of my little checklist. Yeah. So that's, um, and I suppose that kind of looks at a lot of different things that it could be because it's never just it's never just one thing and we have to look at external drivers internal drivers diet and stress I would say they're sort of the four and when I say external drivers that's stuff like um endogenous disruptors sorry exogenous disruptors so what are you putting on your skin what are you are you fake tanning all the time are you using mainstream beauty products which are full of what they call xenoestrogens so these are major endocrine disruptors they get into the body they bind to estrogen receptor sites so that your body's natural estrogen can't and uh, unfortunately a lot of the conventional beauty products that we use the ones that smell really nice the nicer they smell the worse they are i tell people usually (laughs) so what's coming externally that may be um, contributing and then internally. So that's sort of the internal medicine part of it. And then what's your stress and lifestyle like? Do you exercise? Are you getting enough sleep? Um, Are you managing your stress? So these are all really key components because your period is like your body's, uh, it's Lara Bryden who um, says it's your monthly report card. Yeah, so if anyone listening hasn't heard of Lara or her work, then head straight over to Lara on Instagram and start reading. All the time. I promote that. She's got a wonderful book, yeah, called The Period Repair Manual, which is fabulous. And, um, you know, she, she says that your period is your monthly report card 
from your body, telling you what happened the month before. So if you have a shocking period where you're like eating all the chocolate and you've got really bad period pain, you've got to look at what happened in the, in the month prior and leading up to that to set you up for that. So um, yeah, we're really actually very lucky as women to get that monthly feedback on what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's great because there's all these things you can do and you can address, you know, like if someone just wants to start at home today and doesn't, you know, have the time or the energy or the headspace or the money to see someone like you or me to help with these things, then there are all these things you can run through that and go, hey, you know, what what was I like last month? Like it was Christmas, it was New Year's, it was this, it was that. How much did I drink? How much did I eat? Oh, I didn't know that plastics could disrupt my hormone stuff. I didn't know about my skincare or hey, maybe I'm over exercising or under eating, all these things that as women we can go, oh, actually there is, you know, address your diet, address all those sides of things. And then if you're still going, oh, I've still got this ongoing pain, then you can start to go, all right, I need to really look for that underlying cause rather than, like you said earlier, rather than just take the pill or just do this, you know, quick fix approach. I would argue that it's the homework that that's really important, you know. So if you went to a personal trainer And all you did was train, even if you went once a week, which in personal training world is quite a lot, right? So if you went once a week and you worked out really hard for that hour that you were together and then you left and you did nothing else, you wouldn't see any changes or they'd be very, very minimal. And, you know, your health is the same across the board. So with hormonal health, um, it's great to work with someone like you or like me who can, who has a lot of knowledge that they can kind of share. But ultimately it's the decisions that the individual makes when they walk out of the treatment room that will set them up for success. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So if women have any questions on these things or they want to get in contact with you or pick your brain or stalk you on Instagram or whatever, what is the best way to find you and to get in contact with you? So I am on Instagram with my difficult to spell surname which you can just pop down I will link in the show notes <laughs> unlike on another podcast where I helpfully spelled my name out and she was like it's all right darling I'll link it in the show oh, notes. I'll link that. and I know you love Instagram um, so I'll send yep. run over there for you yes yes she's joking Instagram <laughs> is a challenge for me but that but I am there and it's a really convenient way for people to get in touch and they can always go to my website as well which is www.joannamack.com that handle was not available on Instagram otherwise that would have been helpful that would have been um awesome. nice and easy to spell but on that's where they can go to access that checklist that we were talking awesome. about so I did yeah. because I'm dreadful at Instagram I had this idea about oh I can do like a series of 21 21 posts of all yeah. the ways that you can work to balance your hormones and then I was like shit I'm never gonna do this thank I'm you for listening to another down. episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast so if you're not a female who needs some empowerment awesome, please forward awesome. repost tag or share well, and let's get so women talking much for today. I just pick your brain on so many things because it's so fascinating. I love, yeah, I love what you do. I love what you're about and I love how passionate you are about women. So thank you again. It's such a pleasure. And, um, you know, we can, I can just be a regular feature. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jay.